Today's episode is hosted by Rebecca with guest speaker Jerry Christensen, Vice President of Business Development and Partnerships at UMail, who joins the Tuesday Talks podcast once again to bring you the top items they're looking out for this year to protect your enterprise identity, especially when considering a branded calling solution and the know your customer best practices that you need to know as a call originator. Welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we bring truth and shed light across the brand identity and communications industry. I'm Rebecca Johnson, founder and CEO of Numerical, and I'll be co-hosting today's session with Jerry Christensen, Vice President of Business Development and Strategic Partnerships at UMail. It's so great to have you here today again, Jerry. Thank you, Rebecca. It's definitely great to be back. So, uh, and and apologize for the casual wear here. You know, this is a recording for a podcast. So, I, you know what? Sometimes the day just gets away from you. <laughs> I think it's okay to support a little uh, Louisiana love with what I'm sharing today. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, Jerry, uh, it's really exciting to have you here. And it was really for something very specific of what you published. And it got a lot of attention. And we felt like we have to do a Tuesday talk on this. So we can dive a little bit further into what you're really shedding light on. So for the audience, Jerry recently authored uh, a great overview article of 10 things to watch in terms of efforts to secure safe voice communications in 2022 and beyond. And so some of those topics uh, covered you know, blocking versus labeling and redirection, the impact of stir shaken ubiquity, number allocation policies, enterprise identity, UI best practices, don't hear a lot of talk about that, Um, regulatory actions, enforcement. It was just a really lot of great topics and we're gonna share that article with our listeners. But for today, uh, I really wanna focus on two areas that you uh, dove into and that was enterprise identity and the KYC best practices. So. On enterprise identity, uh, what we're watching for based on kind of your vision uh, for 2022 is that number owners and custodians will be increasingly compelled to register telephone numbers for vetting and employ various validation methods, such as out-of-band authentication as an alternative to stir shaken. And branded calling will begin to have a positive impact even prior to RCD availability, as consumers begin to recognize that branded calls are also authenticated calls. There's a lot of interesting concepts that you have in there, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to just kind of break it down on enterprise identity. Yeah, absolutely. And so these concepts are interrelated to some degree. So for example, when I say that branded calls are also authenticated calls, the presumption there is that there's at least some form of, of vetting that happens up front, and then operationally speaking, when the call is presented, that there's some level of authentication, whether that be stir-shaken or the so-called out-of-band authentication, which I would argue the latter is actually better than stir-shaken. Nothing against stir-shaken, it's definitely table stakes. We need to authenticate calls, and there's lots of good reasons, lots of good benefits to stir-shaken, which if we have time, we'll get to that in this discussion. But I would argue that out-of-band authentication is even better because you don't have some of the ambiguity that you can have with, with stir-shaken. 
and, uh, and potentially even some of the false positives where you think it's a good call, but maybe it's, it's really not. But uh, another interrelated area there is the UI aspect too, because I would argue that today your average everyday user, when they see a branded call, they probably get the general idea, especially if the logo's on there and that type of thing. But, but if you did a poll and you asked people, they wouldn't necessarily know that that's a completely safe call. And, and ultimately, that's where we want to get to as an industry. Uh, in the case of UMail, we focus almost all of our attention on protecting against the bad calls. But, but the converse is also really important. We need to train consumers what a good call looks like and make sure that when we say it's good, it really is good. When I look at what's available in the ecosystem today, with that combination of uh, authenticated call plus the branding, Google's the only one that comes to mind that solves that. And then it brings me right back to the point you just said about out of band uh, being the solution. Um, can you expand a little bit on that and how those three kind of elements all truly meet the enterprise identity need that the consumer is looking for? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it starts with the vetting and the KYC because you don't want to present a branded call as such unless you know something about the entity that's presenting their brand. You wanna make sure that they're genuine. And, and of course, you wanna probably know at least something about their business practices to make sure that it's, it's worth presenting their brand. Uh, so it kind of starts with that. But then from an authentication perspective, one of the reasons why I like out of band is just by the nature in which it works, where, where basically before the call is actually presented, that's a branded call, literally seconds or a fraction of a second before that occurs, there will be a notification that's sent over the network to say, essentially, hey, I'm about to send a branded call. And, if, and of course, there's timing involved here. So if you have your timer set appropriately, you know when you see that call come in that it's the same call that you're expecting. And so you give it favorable treatment from a reputation perspective. In other words, you don't label it adversely. You don't assume that it's a spoof call. You know that it's a good call and you present it as a branded call. So that's why I like out of band as opposed to stir shaken. Nothing against stir shaken, but you know, stir shaken is not ubiquitous yet. And then even once it is, we still have some issues going on with attestation not exactly matching reputation. And, and if we have time, we'll talk about that a little bit, some of the things that you may have seen. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think, you know, to that point, and, and we should reiterate it here that stir shaken is not enterprise identity. Uh, there are some misunderstandings in the ecosystem that are just, even service providers. I mean, this is a misunderstanding, I think, beyond just enterprises. Um, even service providers are supposed to be implementing Stir Shaken and understanding that Stir Shaken doesn't, number one, it doesn't remove fraud spam labelings on the terminating carrier side. And it also isn't currently the way that it's set up an enterprise identity solution, meaning that if you originate a call into the network and it is signed with A-level attestation, that a, a wireless carrier on the receiving end of this information is going, oh, I trust that 100%. And anything and everything you say about that call, I'll display it to the consumer and they can trust it 100%. That is not how StoreShaken is being deployed uh, and that is not how we want consumers to even see it from that perspective. Yeah, I would agree. And I, and I would add on to what you're saying that the only thing that you can trust if it's a attestation is that it's not a spoofed call. But that does not mean that you can trust a call because, and I'll give you a case in point, is it's actually funny. 
we were actually going over this last night with Umail, we were, because we are fully compliant with Stir Shaken ourselves, and we do receive these calls, and they do go through our voicemail system, and we run analytics, and, and that's what we do as a business, we can match that up with what we're seeing with the Stir Shaken information. And, and I literally was looking at some A-attested calls that I matched up to the campaign, and, and they were unlawful campaigns. So this is what's happening. You know, so we're not having uh, spoofing happening anymore, but what's happening is it's that whole least number thing that's happening that I talked about at SIPNOC, where somebody will lease numbers out to somebody. From a KYC perspective, they know who they are, they know how to reach them, but they're not monitoring the behaviors of the use of those numbers. And so in some cases, they're used in conjunction with unlawful activities. Yeah, and I and I I want to dive into that word monitor that you just said because uh, I do believe it goes with the enterprise identity. We're not just looking at enterprise identity as something that okay we're going to associate with a call and then we're done. If you have the inter and we'll get into the KYC later in a second here, but if you have the enterprise identity associated with these calls for the sake of branding, then you can as a service provider add additional monitoring on top and then you'll know exactly who's the entity behind it and be able to shut this you know type of fraudulent traffic down. So I'm thinking in that situation, Jerry, if they were if the service provider was leveraging uh, the services that you have for that monitoring, they would have all that informative information of who to go to shut off or cut off access, or at least start the process of, hey, I need to learn about how you are actually leveraging our services to onboard calls into the network. Um, and you can do a better job at monitoring. And then we have that kind of self-governing environment that we create, but it requires this information to be able to do something actionable around it. And I know you have experience with that on how that's being used. Yeah, exactly. And um, in my perfect world, all numbers would be monitored. And I don't mean that in some dystopian way, because what we're looking at is the calling party number, not the called party number. In fact, we don't need to know the called party number. We just monitor the calling number so that we can see what its behaviors are. And we do have some customers that are actually taking advantage of this. We've got one CPaaS customer, as a matter of fact, that uses our, we, we refer to it as our watch list. What they do is they register numbers of interest in the watch list, and then we let them know if or when there's ever any unwanted robocall campaigns associated with them. And the way that this particular CPaaS customer uses it, they use it for vetting themselves. They actually use it very closely with their KYC process because they have their own customers that come to them sometimes with numbers and they say, hey, I want you to handle these numbers, these calls for us with these numbers. And so what they'll do is they'll plug those numbers into our system and they'll see just how clean or unclean they might be. And then they make an informed decision. Do I use, do I allow this to be a customer of mine? Or, or if I do, do I monitor them very closely? So we do have, you know, at sort of the grassroots level, some customers that are taking advantage of this. But I would say by and large, your, your average everyday VOIP service provider, they have very thin margins. And so they're not looking to add costs to their operations. They're looking to trim costs if they can. But, but I would say that there's an argument to be made that this is a very important cost because it's a lot cheaper to be in compliance than it is to have regulatory action or legal issues. Absolutely. And I want um, to, to close out on the enterprise identity before we get into KYC. The last statement that you made in your article around enterprise identity, and I'm just going to repeat it, branded calling will begin to have a positive impact even prior to RCD availability as consumers begin to recognize that branded calls are also authenticated calls. To me, one of the key things that this is drawing attention to is that 
Uh, we have to have that monitoring and that trust and those processes implemented uh, and the verification authentication side of this has to be there for branding or I believe we could go in the opposite direction in 2022 and lose trust from the consumer. And I think 2022 is the year where this gets tested out and consumers are all, you know, react and respond to either trust this information or you know, thanks, no thanks. I uh, appreciate you putting the logos and the branding on there, but you've made too many mistakes. I no longer trust it. And that's that's a fear uh, if we don't get this right. What, what are you seeing in that space? Because you definitely hear from the consumers. Yeah, you may be right. I mean, my crystal ball is no better than yours, but you, you may be right. I mean, it's possible if you think about it from the consumer's perspective, they've got so many different use cases and three distinct ones that come to mind to me. One is the plain old UI that we've had ever since smartphones began. Another use case is some kind of a branded calling experience. And then, uh, and then I guess maybe there's three or four use cases. The third use case would be the check mark. And then a fourth one would be some kind of labeling. And so if you're a consumer, it's very confusing. And until consumers have enough education and understanding of what a branded call is, what it looks like and what it means, there, there probably will be confusion. And I, and I would say a fifth thing to add on top of that is brand impersonation, which is something that we deal with. We actually have a service to detect that. And brand impersonation would be you get a call and they say they're Marriott, but they're really not Marriott. So there's like five things in the mix there that have to be considered. And, and I would say that if somebody gets a branded call that's really Marriott and it's got the Marriott brand on there, great. But then what if an hour later they get a call that says they're, they're Marriott, but it didn't show up as a branded call, of course, because it's a, a bad guy doing something, but yet the consumer gets confused and they might try to hold that against the company, on, you know, not, not appropriately so. Um, and the reason I bring up Marriott is because that's one of our customers and we're protecting them, so that's not going to happen to them. But, but I think you get the example I'm, I'm saying there is, is there is a need for a consumer education so they know what to expect when they see certain things on the UI. Absolutely. And I think, you know, this is obviously speaking near and dear to both our hearts uh, when it comes to we believe in this technology, we believe in uh, the services that it offers to consumers, but we're also just as equally passionate about how these tools are deployed and leveraged. Um, so I will say to the group here that Numerical and UML are definitely working on a white paper um, to go a little bit further detail uh, on this concept. And we will include an evaluation of how branded calling and brand identity go hand in hand and taking a look at brand spoofing and then how that relates to number spoofing. I think we need to provide more education and awareness on how this might derail uh, so that we can make sure that it stays on the tracks for the consumer. Absolutely. And, and part of the idea there is to take a leadership position. It's not to say that, you know, Rebecca knows everything about this or Jerry knows everything about this, but at least have a start and put something out there. And if we could get some comments from some subject matter experts in the industry, I think that would be fantastic because I think everybody would generally agree that uh, it's all over the place from a KYC perspective. There, you know, there's people doing great things like numerical, but I can't say that there's an industry standard for how it's done. There's not like common expectations across all companies for the minimal things that you must do. And you know, what are the things that you do if you go above and beyond? You know, if you do monitoring, does that give you extra credit? You know, so, so there, there's definitely a lot of things that we can do as an industry. So the idea of the white paper is to, to stimulate that thought and conversation. Yeah. 
Great segue into the next topic that I wanted to dive into for this Tuesday talk. So let's let's shift our focus now to the KYC best practices. And so, Jerry, when you summarize the need for KYC best practices, which everybody's been hearing a lot about, right? Um, but in your article, you focused on the industry need for Know Your Customer guidelines for voice call originators. So just as the Mobile Marketing Association was instrumental in the development of SMS best practices for A to P messaging, you've also identified there's a need for call originators to adhere to certain customer onboarding and administrative policies that are focused on business vetting, phone number behavior monitoring, threat detection, and response. And I, I, I had a SIPNOG, we both participated in SIPNOG last week. And um, obviously, once again, we are very much aligned in identifying that there is this need. And from our perspective, uh, my uh, session was just on really like, you know, the privacy, security, uh, and the KYC aspect of it, like bring it up to that level. And how do we trust the data? And that's what this is really about. How do we trust the information that's gonna be delivered? Um, so you are spot on with that statement of there is an industry need for know your customer guidelines for voice call originators. Um, and so I'd love to hear from you, like, what were you looking at and just kind of evaluating when you were contemplating the top 10 things? And then that statement, which is so quotable, uh, you know, came to mind. Well, I think there's a full spectrum, a full range of possibilities there when it comes to KYC vetting and coming up with best practices. And I say a full spectrum because it runs the gambit from, you know, how do you treat a customer that comes to you that says, I want 10 million numbers for a short duration campaign? You know, from a sales friction perspective, if you ask them too many questions, they're probably going to go to somebody else. And if you want to service that kind of customer, great, but you're probably going to have to watch them like a hawk because they're, they're not willing to, to be vetted. They're not willing to answer a lot of questions. And on the other side of the spectrum, you know, customers that are on the up and up and that you can trust them, they're probably going to very willingly say, sure, here's my TCPA compliance statement. Uh, they're, they're probably going to be uh, willing to tell you the types of campaigns they run and the expectations and things like that. And they may even be interested in being monitored. So I think the part of having best practices around KYC is, is having a range of possibilities of what you do. And, and that way, if you ever run into trouble, you can say, here's my, my KYC best practices, here's what we normally do. Uh, if, if it happens to be uh, an entity where there's a lot of questions, you can say, well, you know, here's how they answered these questions, if it ever comes to that. Um, but again, I see this more as an evolution and a process. I don't think that um, it can be cookbookish in the sense that, that we can say exactly the way it needs to be done. It's probably gonna evolve over the course of the next uh, couple or few years. And I like that you didn't immediately go to solutions. So when I hear about acceptable KYC best practices, I'm hearing more of uh, by my solution uh, or my solution is the best one. I have a database and it's got all this information in it. And because I say who I am, you should trust me. And, and that's, that's not what we're hearing from the carrier is that that's exactly what they want. They just want you to say, hey, you should trust me because eh, I'm trustworthy. Right. Right. Uh, I get that from customers and I realize they're big brands and they'll come through at least to numerical and they'll say, I don't need to do a KYC. I'm a big brand. I'm on the NASDAQ. I'm like, well, prove it. Right. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, I don't care if you're a no-name company or a big brand name. Everybody's got to go through the same process. Uh, but that's just how numerical does it. And it is still very siloed. And I know that the Nancy uh, Cata Working Group put out a... 
um, I guess it was best practices. I think that's what it was labeled, but it wasn't scriptive. It just said you need to have a KYC process or you mm-hmm. need to have a vetting process. So then that gets into who vets the vetter. And I don't right. know that we need to do that process of who vets the vetter, who vets the vetter, who vets the vetter. Yeah. Uh, what we're missing, which is what you call out is we need some guidelines. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Once we establish some guidelines and then have an evaluation of how each of these entities are meeting those guidelines, then I think we start to create an ecosystem that can operate. Right, right. I mean, I think a good analogy there could be the standards process. Whenever you're developing a new standard, like SS7 or SIP, for example, there's always mandatory and optional parameters, for example. And so using that analogy here with KYC, there needs to be some mandatory things things that you always ask when you're doing KYC, and some optional things. Optional things could give you extra credit, so to speak. But, but even on the mandatory ones, just asking them is mandatory, but, you, but then where you hold yourself accountable is the types of answers that you get. Some answers that you get could be acceptable and some not acceptable. Um, for example, uh, if part of your vetting is requiring that you know who Jerry Christensen is, that he's a real person, that you can reach him, et cetera, et cetera. If he just gives a Gmail address and he gives a PO box, that's probably not acceptable. You know, so not only do we need to figure out what goes into KYC, but what are some best practice examples for what type of information is acceptable? And KYC is not new. This is just a component of, you know, an already established framework in, in the financial side. Uh, and it's also not U.S. It is global. I mean, Correct. there is a standard, and KYC is just one little component uh, in order for you know uh, fraud and um, terroristic activities, basically money laundering. You know that 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 aspect. So we don't have to create something from scratch. We don't Correct. need to reinvent the wheel. So I, I do think, though, that there needs to be some leadership, uh, hint, hint, maybe, Jerry, you and I could get together, like we said, and start getting momentum going, that it's not just Rebecca and Jerry's say-so uh, of the way that the world is. We need to bring other players who will stand up and say, I want to be a part of creating something that is scriptive. We have to get more specific and what the KYC uh, guidelines need to be. Otherwise, we're really just opening up to anybody. And and you mentioned it earlier, the, the service provider is just going to view it as a checkbox. Mm-hmm. They're just going to go, all right, I write a little policy, done. Start right. shaking, done, check. You know, right. it's KYC is an ongoing. It, it really is. It's not a identify who your customer is. No, knowing your customer is knowing how they operate within your network. I mean, banks do this. I, I know we've all had like blocks of, you know, I was traveling and used my card or maybe I have a deposit that's out of the ordinary that came through and they're gonna put a halt on it because they're constantly monitoring how my behavior is. And if I go off script a little bit, then that's an alarm. Um, and we have to apply the same thing within voice communications. I just don't see this going anywhere if we don't apply that. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think that we could, you know, take, a, like you said, um, KYC has been around for a long time and, and take a page from the script of credit card issuers, for example. You know, somebody that's got a really good credit score, then maybe you don't monitor them as closely and, and you give them a much greater credit limit. But somebody else that doesn't have a good credit score, a lower limit, and, and you watch them really carefully. Maybe you amp up the, uh, the fraud detection, you know, like if they make a certain purchase, you, you challenge it. Uh, and so the, that analogy could be applied towards this too. 
If you've got a customer that you trust a real lot, then maybe certain KYC is good enough. But somebody that's questionable, then getting back to the monitoring, maybe you need to monitor them. Uh, and one of the analogies that we kicked around when we were prepping for this session was the uh, rental car industry, right? So rental cars can use telematics just like you can in any car. And so if a rental car agency thinks that Jerry Christensen is potentially a, a threat because he's gonna go too fast in the car, he's gonna drive it over state lines when he's not supposed to, he's gonna do things he's not supposed to do, then maybe you need to have telematics on there to monitor Jerry's behavior. Uh, now that's an example of a physical good a vehicle. Uh, it's a little trickier when it's a digital intellectual property good like a phone number. But, uh, but we have solutions for that, and, and so that, that's what we do at UMail. So again, it's, uh, it's an optional thing that could be done to reinforce KYC and uh, perhaps doesn't need to be applied universally, even though that would be my ideal world, um, but rather applied judiciously when you think there's an, a need to do that, when there's a particular customer that you think you might want to watch extra carefully. I think your rental car example, though, highlights the liability aspect of why you want to monitor. And so I do think that that is relevant based on what we're seeing uh, on the enforcement side, uh, which you did cover that a little bit as well, is maybe you should be monitoring so that you can reduce your liability for when things go a little awry and then it's the FTC or the FCC who goes, well, I've been monitoring and here's what I have to say about it. And then it comes down as a huge fine. I promise you, based on the numbers that I'm seeing coming out, uh, there is no monitoring solution that's gonna cost you that much. You will always be paying a tiny bit more than what could potentially happen if you don't do any monitoring whatsoever. Right. Yeah, so. I would agree. I would agree. You need to look at the total life cycle cost of anything. So when I say that VOIP is, is dirt cheap, you know, what's not counted in that is litigation. What's not counted in that is the cost of handling tracebacks. You know, if, if you add up the cost of all these things, and, and you need to obviously ascribe a probability to that. That's why I like game theory. Game theory is the probability of something happening times the impact of that thing happening. So, you know, if you, if you run the models and you look at it, then you might find that uh, having more stringent KYC and monitoring is, is actually cost effective, uh, that, that it actually is cheaper to do that than it is to have the, the threat of having these problems if, you, if you're allowing stuff to go through your network uh, or, or in the case of an enterprise, you know, unbeknownst to you, maybe somebody spoofing your number or, uh, or tarnishing your reputation with your brand because they're doing stuff and you just don't even know what's going on as opposed to monitoring. Yeah. So, uh, Jerry, I really want to thank you for spending time with us today to talk about this. Um, we are going to publish out that report. I won't set a timeline. That way we can make sure. But I will solicit uh, anyone who wants to raise their hand and uh, participate in it. Um, I know that we would love to get feedback uh, as well if there are some strong opinions in that space. So we'd like to thank all of you for joining us for another episode of Tuesday Talks. Um, Jerry, thanks again for joining us. I know this won't be the last time that we will have you on our show. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Tuesday Talks, your source of truth in the communications industry. The Tuesday Talks podcast will be going on a spring break. Join us once again Tuesday, April 26th for our next live session. But in the meantime, be sure to catch up on season two so far. And don't forget to send us your questions and the topics you'd like to hear us cover at www.numerical.com slash Tuesday Talks. See you after the break.